This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. This is episode number two. I am Joe Darnell. And I am Joshua Pfeiffer. Welcome. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? Not doing too bad. Uh-huh. Uh, Work treating you nice? Been doing taxes, so, you know, I'm a little bit depressed. But Dang it. That's yeah. why I let my wife take care of all of that for me. <laughs> She's pretty much I'm afraid I would be I would be in jail if, if that were the case if I tried to do that. But, uh, <laughs> My wife is always booking the vacations a year or two in advance, and she's probably got our uh, all of our bills paid through 2018. Um, I'm, I'm happy with our arrangement. <laughs> nice. I, I think we I think we both uh, married well and married very talented w- women, but they're probably very different in their talents. That's another podcast. <laughs> that's the, that's the the Geek Wives podcast. <laughs> Joining us this evening is also the friend of the internet, Mr. John Saddington. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for having us. <laughs> You've been on a few more tech shows probably than we have. This is episode two, and apart from this, I've made two other appearances on tech shows. You have a lot of experience with writing, just technology in general. You are a, a specialized app developer, and you live in the, the state of Georgia, right? Yeah, I'm in downtown Atlanta. Really? Downtown? What's it like in downtown? We're in outtown. Yeah, I, I, I love the metropolitan. Um, my wife and I are really city, city folk. We live in, lived in Candler Park for a while, and now we're in Inman Park, and those were some of the really the first suburbs, suburb, quote-unquote suburbs, of kind of the Atlanta city. And of course, now there are these sky rises everywhere, and suburbs are way outside the perimeter, but... We love it. In, t- in town is really fun. Great, great food. You've got the Swedish meatballs at Ikea there. <laughs> you have the greasy, flat, cold, stale burgers of the Varsity. Yeah, I don't visit those establishments. <laughs> They're much better places, but yes, though we have those here for sure. You know, Atlanta actually is a lot better than I'm, I'm just poking fun at her because I, I've lived in Georgia most of my life and I do enjoy a good trip to Atlanta. I'm going to be over there for a baseball game next week for my birthday. Sweet. Yeah. I only found out a few minutes ago that you live in Atlanta. You've been in the South for too long? Uh, 10 years cumulatively, um, or at least in Atlanta. And uh, I went to school here and my wife is uh, also uh, Georgia. She's a bulldog. So. Woo. It's been good. Yeah, we've we've had we've had some good memories here, and I think I don't think it's forever, but really happy about about our memories for sure. Yeah, my wife and I have talked about other places in the United States we would love to do more than visit, and we don't have any special affinity for the Atlanta area. It's very nice. We've got enough Apple stores to go around, but I don't know. This I, I like other parts of the country a little bit more for the scenic value. Maybe that'll work out someday. When we're all, you know, all of our work life is plugged into the internet, we don't need to have residency near a local job like my wife does right now. Yeah, maybe one day. Now, I, I am in the middle of this book that's now going to be made into a movie. You may have heard of it, Ready Player One. Rings a bell. It, most of the world should know about it. Uh, I think Steven Spielberg just signed up to, to, to do it. But um, a big name. And uh, essentially the entire premise is that the entire world is logged into a virtual re- reality and that is as real, if not more real for most people now. And so I think that it's a, an interesting perspective that probably is a little too scary to 
want to come true. But anyway, that is something we talked about last week with our first guest, Robert McGinley Myers. And that's one of the themes of his show, Anxious Machine, how we have as a, ma- a human race, this fear and wonder of our technology and what it can do for us and what it could do to us. And I like to see the videos by CGP Gray and others on YouTube and read some. Pr- there are some many smart people out there that are exploring the possibilities between sort of like where, you know, the crossroads of, say, science fiction and reality. And it seems like more and more these days, we're doing things with our tech that we thought would never really happen. You know, let's see, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to be using our watches like Dick Tracy never did. Yeah, that's for sure. I'm pretty excited about this. And, but there's also f- reason to fear it. I'll have to look that up. Did, you did say that that's a book now, right? That Stephen is turning into a film? Yeah, it's originally a book, uh, Ready Player One. It's a very, very well done book. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm right now in the middle of Becoming Steve Jobs. Pretty good read. Pretty good biography. I finished that last week via audiobook. Mm-hmm. Uh, 17 hours. And it took me three and a half, four days. I, I loved it. It was a great book as well. You know, I, I do use the audiobooks every now and then. But I, I, I came across an interesting headline. I don't really want to believe. I don't think it's necessarily true. I don't know how they could prove this. It was um, like something on The Verge or The Next Web. And they said something like, uh, new research proves that nobody gets anything out of listening to a book, you know? And I was like, what? And, you know, I, I've heard some audiobooks and they were sufficient. Yeah. I, I, yeah that's, I'd have to <clears throat> read their kind of their thesis, but that's a little bit far fetched. Well, John, you are an app developer and that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you because you made a fantastic splash with 2014 with your great writing app called desk. And before that, you've been writing. You did some professional writing for a while. And you've also just been a, a writer for pleasure, a man of writing for pleasure. And uh, I would like you to explain where it all began for you. Why did you take an interest in writing? And did your journey with writing begin with technology? So it all started back uh, when I was in second grade, really. My, my mom taught me to type on her IBM Selectric in the basement. No fair. <laughs> and um, yeah, and the first assignment she really gave me was to write stories. And I can remember the first story I, I wrote was about my young brother escaping from our second floor, uh, his second floor window, and climbing down um, the pipes. And I can't remember the rest of the story, but I just remember dif- distinctly that was a like the, the core idea was that my, my little younger brother was escaping from our second floor window. Was it inspired by any of the super Mario brothers games? Yeah, probably very much. So yeah. Child of the eighties uh, retro game. So that was so very much a part of my life, but Oh yeah. And I loved it. I loved writing. I loved building stories. I loved the clickety clack and the responsive feel of my mom's IBM Selectric. And I, I would I spent the, that entire summer in the basement instead of uh, playing outside with my my friends. At the same time, I was obviously very involved in video games and very closely tied to video games. Is of course computer programming. And a few years later, I was using my typing skills to to write computer software in Basic and then Visual Basic. I combined those two things. My first, I would say, legitimate software application that I felt really good about was a choose your own adventure story. You guys remember the choose your own adventure books where you would 
read them and then it says if you want to go save the princess you know go to page 97 or <laughs> if you like to you know travel to the other side of the world go you know go to page 120 yes so i built that basic and essentially the storyline was a knight who had to choose to kill the dragon or save the princess but you can do both oh, and um that is, that is a tough one yeah mm. it was, I, would, I, I would probably go with the princess i was too young to, to to figure out i guess that you could probably do both but so you had to you had to make it just a series, and that was the so a, a whole game based on a false dichotomy. <laughs> yes, and so that was <laughs> that's never happened. That's where it all came together: storytelling, building software. I've done it really ever since. So when did you started to use like uh, writing apps and utilities and whatever for the, the big leagues? Like you know, when did you start to think about it? Was it out of high school that you thought you really wanted a career involving technology? I, you know, it took me a long time to even really put together the idea of a career and, I, you know, learning more about, you know, your history. You know, I think we're still trying to figure that out. I know over time I, I loved, I love building things. I've, I've always loved building things and I've always loved great stories. And I just, I think I've, I've lucked into having both of those things come true I started writing software professionally, and when I mean professionally, being paid by a, a legitimate um, company. When I was 15, I was, I was building um, enterprise software for, for Johnson Johnson, or AccuView contact lenses, when I was 15, building their international commerce systems for Japan and uh, the EMEA regions when I was 15. I, so I started my career very early in, in software. And at the time, that same summer, I really got into blogging outlining or documenting the work that i was doing it wasn't called blogging i was uploading static html files to a server and uh, in post in reverse chronological order mm. and it was only a few years later where the the cmss or the the web-based cmss really came to light and the, the first one that i really encountered that I, I that i loved my my girlfriend at the time actually introduced me to it was zanga mm-hmm. and that was uh, in 2002 I remember using Zanga. I mostly made up stories about my life like an amateur teenager. Oh, God. Uh, I have the entire archive starting from 2002 to, uh, geez, I did that for five or six years, and they're all in HTML files now. But uh, I, I've, I have gone back and read through those, and it's just embarrassing. I mean, I was talking <laughs> it's stuff that you now in this culture, in this context, no one ever would write about. Because I was writing about my employer and how I hated it. This was, <laughs> this was public, right? But, yeah. You know, and I'm Tina. I don't know what I'm doing. But if you were to do that now, like you'd be immediately fired. Like <laughs> immediately fired. But uh, the first entry was like, I'm just wasting my time. I think I'm going to go to the movie theater at lunch. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and I'm like cringe. I'm like, oh my god. Like thank goodness no one like no one was really aware. Thank, thank goodness that we know how to use our technology today and we don't do any kind of foolishness with our computers and the yeah, internet no, now. No one ever does that. Yeah. <laughs> um, on all of my Zanga posts are buried with the Ark of the Covenant somewhere. So that's where I'm going to keep him <laughs> for the time being. What now, what exactly drove you into the interest of creating some technology of your own? I like to think of the digital space, the software as technology. It's, not limited to just the hardware, though it seems like that's to be seems to be what a lot of people care about more so than others. Uh, you know, I'm a more of a software guy. If I could run a, uh, you know, dare I say, 
a what do they call those like a, a franken mac or whatever it is where you put the the, the mac uh like a jailbroken copy of the mac on a pc i would i just don't I'm, I'm not that much of a stickler for the hardware but i keep things simple so i i just i've been using apple technologies hardware and software my entire life but really and truly where it's at for me is the software and what we can do in um in the digital world and i feel like that is what makes technology special right here, right now. So what drove you into that field of interest? Yeah, as I grew in my career, I realized that I, I realized over time I wasn't getting to build the stuff that I really wanted to build. And so fast forward, you know, almost a decade and I realized that it was no longer fun. And so I started building some, some side projects, nights and weekends, just to satisfy my desire to create something that I could call my own. At the time, I was an enterprise software developer for, for Dell, which at the time was the biggest computer company. And Michael, Michael Dell had just returned as the CEO. This was 2005, 2006. I was like, man, like I, I hate building stuff for this guy. And so I started tinkering nights and weekends. And that's when I really got the bug, what, what I would now call entrepreneurship. At the time, I, that word wasn't even part of my vocabulary. But I just realized, hey, I just I love I really love building this stuff nights and weekends. And then one of those projects actually became very successful. Uh, uh, I built a dating website for World of Warcraft players. I'm so sorry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they, they still do, they need still, all the help they can get. Or, or? Still, still into uh, <laughs> still very much into video games, and was a, a huge player in World of Warcraft. Actually, I quit finally uh, last year. So I've been playing for like 20 years this franchise. And, uh, so I built a date and you turned out. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm doing great. And I was married at the time. I, I was having a, I was, my marriage was great. I just loved social networking at the time was growing. And so I was like, well, and plenty of fish and, uh, a bunch of other dating websites had just kind of really gotten a lot of attention. So I was like, man, that would be cool if people could date each other in world of Warcraft. So I built that, that got on the Gawker network and then it was eventually acquired by a, a larger dating conglomerate. And I saw this big check in my hands and I was like, holy shit, I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to build stuff that I want to build. I, apparently you can be compensated really well. And then I, I started looking at trying to, to make an exit. So that's, that's kind of the genesis of my building software for myself. There are obviously a lot more people who just consume technology than those that actually get the benefit from creating technology. I think that like most people's experiences, they fall into it. They stumble into it just the kind of the way that I did as a teenager, making home movies in iMovie and, you know, goofing off with the home video camcorders. One thing led to another and we were, me and my older brother, we were doing some work with um, a local school and we were a, a part of a special uh, a character education program in that school. And so what we started to do was document documenting Everything that we were doing in the school, one thing led to another. We started getting interviews with teachers, the principal, and more and more people wanted to see a professionalized, edited documentary. And so eventually, we didn't turn a profit. But what we did is we were able to sell copies on VHS and DVD and make back all of our time and energy investment and buy more computers. That's so, so cool. Yeah. And the, just the, one thing kind of led to another. We started producing concert videos, and then my brother was volunteering at the state capitol 
So we started doing videos for state legislators and their websites. One thing just dominoed into the next thing. And that's how I started to to pick up uh, Photoshop. And it was, again, just toying with it, just, you know, goofing off at not on nights and weekends. And one thing would lead into another, like, okay, one day you're just color correcting the pictures of your friends and you're, 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 you know, you're, you're doing some wacky things with them from the pictures at the party. The next day you're building a website for a, a state Senator. And, and that's just the way it happened. I think that more people could do that if they just pick up the skills because the, the technology has democratized who has an opportunity <laughs> it has lowered the costs yeah I, I hear stories about people it's very successful entrepreneurs and who who say on record that you know they they knew they were going to be an entrepreneur when they were you know two years old and i just i i marvel at that i don't i don't question it i just i just marvel at it. i for my my story, and for many of my colleagues and, and close friends, my their, our story is more of an accidental entrepreneurship. It's just we, we just love building stuff, and we didn't know what to call it. And apparently, you call it that, but it was ne- it was never the game plan. We want to do co- cool things and put things together and help people out. And so, what you're saying is, you're about to announce an entrepreneurship online course. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, no. I, I hear you completely. It is exciting with what you can do uh, as an independent. And I've, I've been a, a graphic designer for many, many years. But now I have the the pleasure for working at home and being a graphic designer from home. And it gives me a lot more flexibility to spend time with the family and friends and to explore new uh, avenues of creativity on my on the side. And that's why I'm able to produce this podcast with Joshua. So guys, Wanted to move on to our next topic of discussion. Well, before we do that, uh, since we're on the entrepreneur stuff, uh, just skimming through your site, John, I noticed a uh, link to the Iron Yard, and I haven't got a chance to completely review that, but w- would you mind just taking just a few minutes uh, and explaining what that is and, and how you're part of that? Yeah, sure. So to, to take one step back very quickly to give a little context, I eventually left Enterprise, the Enterprise world, as a, a software developer. Um, became actually an executive at a Fortune 50, and then that then I took a step out. And in the last seven, eight, nine years, I guess um, I've done entrepreneurship full time. So I've started a bunch of companies, um, raised venture capital, um, bootstrapped a couple companies, and uh, my current venture is the Iron Yard, which is a half ex- technology accelerator, very much like Y Combinator or TechStars. Actually, we have some really great relationships with the TechStar community. We, accelerate, we invest in small companies, seed stage companies, and mentor them for 12 weeks and help them raise their next round. And the other side is education. And so we take a 12-week course. We take an adult and through 12 weeks of hardcore study to become a software programmer. And we, can, we literally can take someone, some people who have never, ever touched a Mac computer in their life, and in 12 weeks, they are um, fully capable of being a junior-level developer um, at a startup, an agency, an uh, enterprise company. Uh, I mean, and it, it's unbelievable transformation. Wow. So that's, t- that's 12 weeks, I guess, full-time, kind of uh, just boot, boot camp? Boot camp style. It's some of the wow. hardest stuff that you'll ever, will ever, you'll ever experience. But the transformation within 12 weeks is unbelievable. So That's all on-site? In, is that in Atlanta? Or different places. We actually have 15 campuses. We are the largest code school in the nation. Wow! So I, I my full time job is to, to 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 help lead that organization and to make sure that we can continue to to train the next wave of software developers. 
That's that's very cool. See, see, I've got an electrical engineering background, like I think I mentioned to you earlier before we started recording. Um, but I, I uh, and I've always enjoyed the coding side of it, but I, I never really got into it. I, it. I just never never fell into it as far as a career, and so it's kind of stagnated. But I've always thought, you know, I really need to kind of get get back into it. And you know, it, it, as a father of six, and, and it's just difficult to make a, a, a transition like that. You know. At this stage of my career, and I've I've been percolating on how to uh, how to make a transition, and uh, I'm gonna have to take a much closer look at at your site here. This uh, looks very interesting to me. Sounds like we have a beautiful friendship beginning here. Yeah, well, we can obviously, <laughs> and you can have a permanent sponsorship on this program for free <laughs> tuition. <laughs> yeah, it looks very it looks very cool. I didn't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I want to get back to your app. You know, talk about that a little bit. But uh, but this is a uh, very very neat. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Like, I, I, I'm involved in a number of things. I, I love staying busy, just like both of you. And I just, I love, I love, I love, I love working. I love keeping my hands and my mind busy. I think the world is a better place because you are. Yeah. And clearly by things like your app development and, and by the Iron Yard. Want to get into uh, another side item of interest, though, before we continue on with the interesting. Uh, meat and potatoes discussion. Here's the side salad dish of this episode. Uh, what are we doing about the Apple Watch? It is Thursday night. It is April 9th at 9.45 p.m. Eastern time, right as we are speaking. I am pretty sure I'm going to be up till three o'clock in the morning to get to order one. Now, what do y'all think? Am I crazy or are y'all crazy? I have, I've just been back and forth, back and forth. I, I just... I think I've got to wait to see it. I've got to touch it. I've got to feel it. Don't blame it, y'all. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, I saw an article today that, uh, you know, if you don't pre-order it today, you're going to have to wait six weeks. And, and it was just, you know, written like this, like this is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> you know, just, oh my gosh, panic, panic. <laughs> just, you know, come on. Anyways. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, just, I think I just want to get my hands on it. Mm. How about you, John? Uh, that that question is uh, very easy to answer. The answer is absolutely not. I am not a watch wearer and haven't been since my uh, old uh, Mario video game watch back in the oh, I love the, I late love the late eighties. But uh, that was really the last watch I ever owned, and I I don't even wear my wedding band. I so I, I I'm not a jewelry person, hmm. so I'm just not the not the target audience. Okay, that makes that that makes sense. That's a very valid standpoint as well. I think that that's probably the main reason why a great number of people are not interested in the entire market. We've had Pebble watches, we've had Android watches already on the market. I have a friend who works up in Microsoft, and he was going to be with us this episode. We said that at the end of last episode, but it couldn't work out because you know the allergies, the pollen started get to getting to him, and we were postponing him to another episode sooner than later. But yeah, he uh, he used to wear one of the Fitbits, and he just kind of started to, to, to doubt his own sanity. He was like, "What am I doing with this thing? I, I, you know, I don't wear watches, I don't wear bracelets, and this thing is fiddly, and I'm not getting that much out of it." Personally, I think that I would have foregone the watch, but then my wife, knowing my the interests of my heart, the, she went out on a limb and gave me a very nice gift certificate for Christmas. And gave her blessing to go get an Apple Watch and said, please go get yourself an Apple Watch. I wasn't planning to get one. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to press the issue. But then she said, please go get an Apple Watch. And I said, well, if you're getting me one, I'm getting you one. And she said, no, no, not having an Apple Watch. 
So I'm going to have to share my heartbeat with some of my other Apple watch pals. And that's going to be awkward. Yes. Yes, they will. That, uh, I guess makes me not want to get one. I'm looking forward to whoever comes up with an an app for anonymous heartbeat sharing. (laughs) That's just going to have to be a thing. There's an idea, John. I, I looked at the, the the developer kit and I was just like I I just am not I'm not going to be able to build anything worth of any value because I I'm not actually a user myself so I just don't know the I don't even know how to encounter or engage with that type of product I don't blame you seriously I I don't think the product's for everyone I'm very happy to hear other sane people with a very different perspective we're talking about technology and not just because we we embrace all technologies. You have to keep an open mind, and sometimes an open mind means you just don't need that tool. Yeah. Now, now I am going tomorrow to take a look at the 12-inch MacBook. Uh, so there's that. <laughs> Do tell, please. I am in completely in awe about uh, the, the innovation that they've done with the chassis, um, the battery, uh, the retina display on the 12-inch, the I have read, reviewed every single review that I possibly can, um, even about the issues with performance. And I just, my entire, I, my entire life, my, the way that I earn a living, provide for my family is through these devices. I'm going to go, I, I'm going to go check it out. And yep, you deserve I, it. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll, I'll probably do, buy one. <laughs> so <laughs> right on the spot. So there's that. They're not going to get me for $300 for a watch. They'll probably burn me for 1500 tomorrow <laughs> see listeners I, i'm the sanest among us here <laughs> yes you're, probably, you're fis- more fiscally responsible perhaps now you're going to get in uh, you're going to get it in space gray correct that's a great get yes i actually am good 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 I'm sir i'm gonna i obviously have silver everywhere with all my other devices and i'm not a gold person i think that's kind of ostentatious but so i'm gonna get the space gray now, I have to admit, a little part of me was intrigued by the concept, but uh, no, I would not get a gold one myself. You, you know what they reminded me <laughs> of was some of the more classic sports cars. I guess it was the late eight, uh, 70s, early 80s, when they started dabbling with copper tones, um, browns, and toying with other uh, strange shades of yellow and giving them uh, sparkly finishes and things like that. I kind of feel like we're going through that era with Apple computers. And if you, if anything, I'd say let's go back to the Bondi Blue IMAX. I, I liked them more than the this gold craze. Those were sweet, weren't they? They sure were. I have one of them sitting right over here in the corner. It's my it's my it's like my pet rock. You do? I yes, I do. Oh I also have I also have a power uh, what is those Power Mac G3s sitting up on the sh- the bookshelf. Jeez. It is my biggest paperweight of all. Oh man, that's cool. Yeah, my my father bought me the first generation of the Unibody iMac, and I. Uh, Oh, that was a beautiful machine. Yeah, last year I picked up the 11-inch uh, MacBook Air, you know, just for for stuff on the go. You know, it wasn't super powerful, but I, you know, I just needed something for in the coffee shop, and and I just absolutely love this laptop. And I thought this thing is other than the display; it's not the Retina display. I thought other than this Retina display, this thing is is perfection. They can't make it better. And then, of course, they wouldn't have made it better. So, dang it! Yeah, I was. Yeah, but yes, I've had so. every generation of the 13 and the 11. So I'm uh, it's, obsessed. It's, it's obsessed. my first error, and it really is. It's just an amazing. That's an amazing device, isn't it? Ugh. So, did your interest in writing begin with MacBooks, or were you? I mean, like creating writing tools. Did it all start with Macs? Yes, yes, because, and I couldn't have told you at the time. Much later, this became very apparent. 
you know, one of I think the strengths of what Apple has done is they've created such a an intimate connection between the hardware and the software, and so it is a unified experience for the end user. And it is one of the reasons why I have yet to to port or to migrate or to uh, create any of my writing applications for a Windows or a um, Android or a, a Linux environment. I just because those things are separate in terms of the hardware manufacturer and the software manufacturer. And I just feel like the, the vision that I have for the products that I create have to, in, 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 in some total, be complete. And the, the, the OS X or the Mac environment, um, hardware and software combined, creates that unified experience. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, then now's a great opportunity to introduce your desk app, the best app of 2014 as awarded by Apple. Congratulations. Very glad to see that. Yeah, thank you. That's so so humble. I mean, the honest truth is, as a uh, Objective C Swift software programmer, I'm very late to the game. I I only taught myself that language a few years ago. I was built a built a I kickstarted a a, a mobile iOS app on Kickstarter.com that was funded, and then I raised some capital for a follow on um, that ultimately failed as a, a venture. But that was only a few years ago. Just picked it up. So to be awarded such a really nice honor, um, despite really the novice my my novice experience with that particular software language, was, is really humbling. Obviously, I've been building I've been building software for seventeen years, so I, there's there's a lot of experience. But uh, I just yeah, it was it was totally totally humbling. I I really didn't deserve it. And I like how you describe the app on your your website desk.pm. It is, you are a storyteller, passionate about crafting narratives that capture, express, and delight in what it means to be human. Surprisingly simple, yet powerful, Desk was designed for designers, bloggers, note-takers, and productivity artists. Brilliant way with words, sir. Did you write that? I did. I write all my copy. And how many drafts did it take there? Uh, I probably took three or four. Good, good. You, you are a pro. I, I I get the the gist typically the first wave through, but I try to massage. I've gotten better at that. I'm not an editor. I'm not very good with that. I don't like to review stuff that I've written. I love to ship. That's what I love. I love to just hit the publish button, and then if there's a, only a grievous error, especially in terms of blog posts, but uh, if there's a grievous error, then I will go back and edit. But otherwise, I let my work stand. And it is very tempting to just hit the publish. Uh, frequently and often and always. <laughs> yeah. Once you get that kick as a writer, I know exactly what that's like. It's probably the reason why I would have a blog around uh, for many years in limbo, even when it was counterproductive too. And eventually I found a good use for a good use case for my writing and it's exercised my mind and helped me to think outside of the box, meet new people, you know, share good ideas. Uh, I've heard from the readers and I've also discovered other great writers, all thanks to the Apple community, people who are using their MacBooks like fiends. And we all started with, uh, you know, the very basic writing tools like you brought up earlier, Sanga. But we've come such a great distance from that. I remember the blogger days. I remember the toiling in WordPress, just trying to get that thing to to work without bugs and friction and glitches where it would uh, eat my work and ruin my progress. And eventually I turned to the the desktop apps to spare my, myself from a lot of the problems. Because with the desktop apps, you can save it even if it's named untitled. At least you're not going to lose your work. 
And then uh, one thing led to another. I've discovered several decent uh, text editors, but I've always been looking out for one that would just simplify and improve upon the work of those who have gone before us. And I feel like Desk has done a brilliant job of taking it to the next level for the people who are serious about site content. Your app, one of the great hallmarks of the app is how easily you can just, with a, you know, a click at the mouse, you have published directly to your site from the desktop app, even when you embed media like images. And then you also support great formats like um, you've got WYSIWYG built in, and I, I respect that choice. My personal favorite, though, is Markdown, which is just a godsend. I don't know what I would do without Markdown now. I noticed that to degree, it looks like you even used some Markdown in the description for Desk in the App Store. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, like, and the mark, Markdown's a complicated syntax um, because there's so many different flavors. The next version I'm releasing it ha- actually is redoing the entire Markdown um, infrastructure. So if you love Markdown now, it should be infinitely better. Interesting. In a few in a few weeks from now. So that's the the next major hurdle in version one one dot four. So I'm really excited about that. That's going to be that's going to be really cool. So I think the natural question now is for those that are only vaguely familiar with writing tools, why should they care about Desk and why does it stand out? I think that I've made it abundantly clear. I'm your fan. I'm the fan of Desk. Desk. I'd like you to autograph my copy of Desk. <laughs> uh, so, can you describe for the listeners and other great writers out there who just need to, you know, see the light and check it out? What are they? What are they in for? Yeah, there are so many great systems out there. It's uh, there are very there are very few options when it comes to actually native desktop publishing clients. Um, Mars Edit, like I mean, Daniel Jalkut. I can never say his last name right. Uh, that sounds right to me. Yeah, Marzetta has, has been the reigning king, and he's he's actually, I, I would consider him a digital friend at this point. We've had some great conversation. That's the king of the hill, and he, that's been around for a long time. It's a great, great product. But other than that, there are only a handful of others. And so my entry into the space is, one, refreshing. Um, it's a kind of a new take on a, a, a very you know, long-standing history of, of desktop editors. And it's also one that really I think is matched to the, the philosophy of desktop editors are writing now. It's very minimalistic. It's simple. Um, get in, get out, and get your work done. So it's specifically designed for people who, who fundamentally understand the importance of blogging and publishing your ideas to the web. Who just want to do that. They want to do it with, with speed, with effectiveness, and then get on with the rest of their day. And I know for myself, after having... Blog, been blogging publicly for the last you know, 13, 14 years. That is all I care about is I, I want to capture some ideas. I want to publish them to my blog. Um, I don't want to have to jump into a, a web, web editor and waiting for all, everything to load and be distracted by all the options. I just want to write. And then I want to hit publish. And then I want to go back to whatever else I need to do with my life. In that regard, it's, it's a simple solution. It's, it's really no, no frills, no... Nothing, nothing crazy special. But I think the other thing, if I were to to create any type of sale or marketing, is that it's an indie project with someone who is also a user. Um, I think that's probably the the greatest value that I bring to the actual product is that I am a writer myself, and I intimately know the challenges of writing. Writing never gets any easier for anyone. It is as hard as it was when I first started. 
And I imagine it'll continue to be difficult all the way until I leave this planet. I'll take that as a comforting note. (laughs) It never gets easier. Yeah. I I wrestle with the product as a user intimately. And I, I take great pains in making sure that the product is the best type of product for someone who's just trying to, as hard as they can, capture their ideas and publish them. I've listened to the community around the application. We've got this really neat forum where all the users and community members can give me feedback on the product constantly. And I love that interaction. I love being an indie software developer where I can just, someone says, hey, this really kind of sucks. And I'm like, well, you know what? You're actually right. That does suck. Let's, let's fix that in the next version. And uh, I, I do polls. Like right now, I'm considering inter- Evernote integration. That was something that someone had suggested. I, I personally hate Evernote. I'm with you. And, and I'm actually kind of wondering, like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're saying. But there are a hundred or a hundred million users. Oh, uh, yeah. And so I said, you know what? So the idea is you could export your, the content you write in a file of the desk app into Evernote. Would you be able to uh, send it back? No, no, no. You'd, you'd, you'd be literally be able to publish directly to Evernote mm. and it would save in your, the, that folder structure. So I said, you know what, as a indie developer, I have the liberty and the flexibility to, 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 to do that. And you know what, maybe, maybe I should put my ego and my pride on the shelf for a moment and do something that would create value for people who are really looking to do this. So, so this um, was before you just finished the Steve Jobs, becoming Steve Jobs book, right? Because <laughs> just it sounds like something he wouldn't do, but never mind. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. More in the spirit of the new Apple. Maybe I need to. No, I, I th- I, I'm obviously joking. I, I, yeah, think, yeah. Uh, I think it's a good choice. You know, and so and it, would that help revenue? Like, I don't know. Sure. Um, maybe, but I'm willing to, to explore. And I've, I've added things and I've stripped them back out and then I've put them back in. Um, so I've done that a few times and the community was like, you know, what happened to this feature? I'm like, well, I kind of removed that one. No, we want it back. And so the next version, I was like, oh, well, okay, we'll bring it back. Huh. Um, so, so it's a, it's an evolving product it, it, at the, at the core. It's, it's very stable and it does, it, it does the job, but I'm really having a fun time of in, engaging with the community. And I think that's a, um, an important thing. My quote unquote competitors, if you will, in the space, they don't do that as nearly as well as I do. Right. Uh, I, I like to believe that uh, smart app developers like yourself are going to be friends with your competitors, like you already mentioned before, Mars Edit by Jowkit. And I would like to ask you, how do you feel your app differs from uh, another uh, classic app editor, uh, text editor like ByWord? How do you feel uh, your app differs and what makes uh, Desk just not uh, superior, but just different? For a different use case. Oh, Byword is an amazing product. I mean, in, in, in many ways, we're very, very similar. Um, I think the actual use of Byword, um, in terms of the way that they publish that progression, is different. Um, and I think that makes it actually a big difference. And mine was specifically built for publishing to the web. They have an in-app upgrade that allows you to connect to a blog which at the end, at a very top level, still functions the same, but it wasn't the principal motive. And so ByWord, again, a fantastic product, didn't have that linear experience in mind when they first created the app. 
So I feel like even a little bit of cognitive dissonance, even a little bit of friction for the user makes a huge difference, um, especially when you're trying to do something as difficult as write. So I think that, you know, now what do, will most users recognize that? Probably not. And that's fine. Like, again, ByWord's a great product, like really good product. Um, so you should go use that. But uh, if, you're, if you care about some of that tension that you might feel with a little bit of a disjointed experience with publishing, Desk might, might provide uh, a little bit more fluid experience. But who's to, who's to say? Good answer. One other question I have about the Desk app specifically is it has a unique extension. It is, you know, .dpm. And I think that some people uh, who are accustomed to the ways of rich text editing and um, plain text editing and um, markdown format and saving their notes and files for many years to come and archival purposes, they prefer to just leave it .txt. What's the uh, story behind the unique format? Yes, there is a. I went back and forth on that for a long time because creating your own extension is. There's a lot of things that that obviously can create some limitations. What, why I landed on that was because that D, .dpm extension is and it allows me to hold more than just text. I'm actually able to put media files, and so obviously the first uh, iteration is images. So as you create a draft of a post and you insert images, Desk App saves those locally in the .dpm. And then you can transport that anywhere you'd like. So if you start writing on your computer at home and then you jump onto your computer at work, which are two different systems and you're you know, connected via iCloud Drive, you have the, the entire post, both the images and the text, wherever you are. And that transferability... I felt was a stronger interest and in play for the users that um, I thought were going to encounter the app. And if, uh, if I do get to this, which I'm very keen on doing, creating a mobile complement for an iPhone or an iPad, having that extension allows me to transfer all that media to, again, images first, but I imagine at some point maybe even more enriched, more rich media like a video so that you can always have the full post in the cloud or, or locally stored. So it was, a, it was a tough decision, but I think it was the right one. That was going to be my next question, if there was going to be a mobile equivalent for iOS. Yes. Glad to hear you're working on that, at least in your, uh, up in your head, and you're making some notes and you're toying with the idea. Do you think that that would be something you're working on in 2015 or beyond? Probably 2016. But I don't. But I don't know. I, my idea for the mobile complement will probably shock people because it won't. My idea is not to create a robust mobile application that allows you to publish directly to the to your your property. It's more of a the iOS desk app will only come with one port. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the software will most likely just allow you to capture thoughts, media. And then you can bring those into the desktop experience. Because I just don't, I, I think serious writers, and uh, the moment I say serious, people will get up in arms because uh, that can yeah. be anything. Mm. But, uh, but, the, but I just, I, I, can't, I can't do any writing on an iPad or a mobile device. I have to have a keyboard. 
They say I'm I'm the fastest iPad typist they've ever seen, but even with that skill, it's sort of a useless skill set because I I cannot in good conscience to actually get a, a serious amount of work done on the iPad unless I get out the wireless Bluetooth keyboard and exactly. stand up my my iPad and then it get, it gets to be a little bit not uh, impossible or painful, but just a little bit awkward to switch back and forth from swiping on screen to use a browser, then to return to the app to do some typing and then swipe again to use the browser. Oop, I, I did the wrong swipe gesture. Oh, dang it. Where am I? I'm on the wrong sheet of the home screen. Okay, where's the app? Okay, there we are again. What was I thinking? <laughs> you know, yeah. that kills me every time I've tried to do any a seriously good writing for too long. And I, I've used the ByWord suite. I've used a, a few others. And for those reasons, I, I try to keep all of my focused, well-intentioned writing strictly over my MacBook with or without my external display and uh, stationed here at the compu- at the uh, the desk. If I want to go mobile, I'll just go mobile with the MacBook. Take that to the coffee shop or take that to the kitchen counter. Yeah, it's uh, the mobile. My mobile version will probably shock people at first, but I think I think they'll get it. Hmm. Interesting. We'll see when we when I get there. I'll, I'll probably wait for the uh, Apple Watch edition, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll go with that. Oh God, uh, you'll never be my customer. <laughs> I was going to ask, since you are a, a writer and a extraordinaire some, in some ways, more than one way, what do you think of dictation? And do you think that dictation is going to play a bigger role for professional writing over the next five years? I know that Apple is toying with it all the time. We see more and more people that are using it for the simple messaging purposes and, and texting. And I I wonder about it because I don't think it's going to take – a hold of uh, a widespread uh, number of users, but I've I've used it a little bit myself with some good and bad results. But I like it more than I like, say, writing a, a full blog post on my iPhone. What do you think of the idea of dictation in the near future for everyday writing tools? That's a great, great question. Now, Desk is built very as close to native as possible, and so you can dictate right into the app if you'd like. Um, I don't do that. I, I do dictate my text messages on occasion to my, my wife and to, to the people that I text and via SMS. For, I, I just I, I can't do that for my writing. I think, I think the, the, act, the actual act of typing is fundamental to writing. I don't have any anthropological science behind that or even psychological uh, analysis behind that. I just feel it feels fundamental. Because there is a limitation on the speed in which you can capture thoughts, that requires a very fundamental cognitive approach to how you understand information. Because your brain can obviously process things much more quickly, but it's jarbled. And speech is one step below that. And you know there are people who can talk their butts off, and it's really fast and it makes no sense. But for me, when I type, it forces my mind, even my, I think my heart, to slow down. I am a better communicator because of it. It's, it's sort of like where part of you is very mindful of the task, and then the other part of you, from lots of experience there with the keyboard, is able to go into autopilot. And it's an interesting experience where you're, you're uh, triggering both the sort of like mindless intelligent actions and the mindful ones at the same time. I think it gets more of your, your juices flowing uh, creatively, yeah. and f- I would say from personal experience. I think that that's one of the benefits 
of video games over the years having physical hardware controls. I think that uh, video games that have dabbled with um, just using all you know physical gestures or voice commands are just you know in general they're, they're not really going to take off because something about the way that we tick, we like to have a physical interaction uh, as often as possible with whatever we are communicating with. And I think that the four video games to excel, that's why, you know, controllers are so special to us. And the same would be true for the writers. I still think there's occasional good use cases when you're just like brainstorming, trying to put together maybe a mind map or an outline. You're thinking about ideas of what to write about and you wanted to come down with a list of uh, future topics to write, you know, let's create a list. Let's think of all the things we want to cover in this article. You, you can do that um, fairly well with dictation in my personal experience. Oh, totally. I just, but I, I'm with you completely when it comes to when you're going to write the thing, you'll probably be more effective, especially when you're refining the post, when you're refining your edits and you're, you're in the second, third and fourth draft to get your hands on the keyboard. It's not going to hurt you. Yeah. Yes. I, and to be fair, I honestly, I think my writing makes me sound like a better communicator because it forces me to slow down. I, I've, I do guest speaking and conferences and sometimes I just sound like an idiot. So I, my writing helps me at least present a better communicator side, which is really nice. Very good. Well, guys, this has been a loaded show, man. Lots lots of good things to think about. John, one of the things I want to do is have all of our guests back as often as they can and as often as they feel inclined. Could you see yourself talking more about writing and what you're doing later on in the year? Absolutely. I thank you so much for inviting me. This has been fun. And there have been a couple of things that we covered in this uh, podcast that I have not covered in others. So that that's always refreshing. I, I like that. Nice. And I, I'd like to dig a little bit more into the uh, Iron Yard after I do some research. That uh, looks very interesting. Very cool. Before we started on the the official recording of this episode, we had a, a good chat before we started the show. So I'm going to take a little portion of that chat and put that after the end of the show and after the outro music. So if you want to hear more of what we said at the very beginning of the Skype call, check that out after the music at the end. Thanks again, John. Thanks again, Joshua. As always, you're a great listener, Joshua. All right, so this completes episode two of Tectonic. Visit tectonic.fm slash two for the show notes and links. If you want to connect with us, we are at tectonicfm on Twitter and send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm. If you'd like your topic or question to be featured in the next episode where we talk about it with our guest and me and Joshua, just uh, feel free to write us uh, with hashtag asktectonic in your message on Twitter or in the email. I don't care. And if the Tectonic podcast isn't already available on iTunes, I'm serious. It soon will be uh, for real this time. And if you visit us there and give us your star rating, that would be awesome. Thank you very much in advance. And if you want to help us out a little bit more, just leave a sentence or two in a review and that helps others find and enjoy the show on iTunes. But you don't have to enjoy it on iTunes. If you want to, you can also gather it from the website. And remember that this episode is made possible by you listening and engaging with us. So any of your feedback about how we can further the show and make it a better, a better place in podcasting, that would be great. Thank you, guys. This is Joe Darnell, and we will see you next time with our Apple Watches or my Apple Watch and nobody else's Apple Watch.
would love to be a full-time writer. I would love to be a full-time podcaster, but I know it's not a means to a financial end in 2015. So for right now, I'm just exploring the possibilities and want to do a bang-up job. I really love technology. It was my first love. Um, second to that would be writing. And then I'd say third would be productivity. I care more about those things than I care about graphic design, which I've spent 15 years doing professionally. So uh, for me, uh, you know, I would, this is, you know, a labor of love. If, uh, if it just went belly up, I would unplug it, you know, in a heartbeat and uh, let it die. If it works out, you know, I'll keep this thing going as well as I can. I, uh, I was just going to say, I, I'm a software engineer. I've been doing that for, for 17 years. But there was one year where I did try full-time writing in, in, in terms of trying to, to, to maximize an income there. And in the first year, I did 45000 annually in just, just the blog alone, not any tangential or even corollary products associated with So it's, I think it's still very possible. I think you need to be more creative and you know, have some of these different things. But I think it sounds from your background like you, I think you could totally pull it off. It's... It wasn't that as difficult as I thought it was going to be. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. so uh, I'm just kind of curious from a business perspective. Uh, you know, where, where, that 45. Where you know, where did that come from? Through ads, through affiliate stuff. I mean, what? How did yeah, you it came through that? a combination of um, about eight or nine different channels. And I've actually written fairly comprehensively about that experience, and even analyzing those channels, breaking them down, how I maximize revenue on my blog. So then that was full time or you were kind of doing that on the side. I was honestly, I was trying, I was making a move to becoming a quote unquote pro blogger. I thought that would have been, been cool to transition, <laughs> but it was still very much part time. So on a part time, I, I did 45,600 or something in that first year. I was like, Holy shit. <laughs> um, it was really kind of cool. And very impressive. I'm glad to hear it. I, I've been thinking about this in the back of my mind, and we'll get to that topic a little bit more when we dive into the professional line of writing and casual line of writing in the show, when we talk about your app and talk about the state of writing culture at large. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get the show on the road.